When they heard this, all the people, even the tax collectors, agreed that God's way was right, for they had been baptized by John. But the Pharisees and experts in religious law rejected God's plan for them, for they had refused John's baptism. To what can I compare the people of this generation, Jesus asked. How can I describe them? They're like children playing a game in the public square. They complain to their friends, We played wedding songs and you didn't dance. So we played funeral songs and you didn't weep. For John the Baptist didn't spend his time eating bread and drinking wine. And you say, he's possessed by a demon. The Son of Man, on the other hand, feasts and drinks. And you say, he's a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and other sinners. But wisdom is shown to be right by the lives of those who follow it. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. This is what we call planning ahead. Uh, all right. Too many papers. All right. Uh, we are starting a new, a new series of um, messages uh, today, and it's called, um, Who is That Guy? We're going to be looking at some of the familiar characters in the scriptures and uh, asking ourselves, who, who is that guy? What's, what's he up to? What does he tell me about my life? And we're going to begin today by looking at John. We're going to be asking the question, who is John and what about John? What about John? And that's the question we're going to see a lot of people in the scriptures are asking. And behind that question, behind the question, uh, who, uh, what about John? So, so who is John? And behind that is the question, um, does God act? Does God act? Now, if, if you grew up in church or if you've been in church a long time, you know the correct answer to this question, right? You know the correct answer is, of course God acts. You know that God acts in keeping the world turning. If the sun rose this morning, it's because God ordained it to be so. So, of course, God acts. God keeps the world turning. But, you know, God decided a couple of billion years ago to keep the world turning. And there's nothing new about that decision except God kind of said... I see no reason to change it. So, that's not really the kind of acting I'm talking about. How about prayer? Does God answer prayer? Yes, we believe God answers prayers. So, so God acts in that way. God punishes wrongdoing and rewards good deeds. So God reacts to those things as well. But that's reaction. That's not action. That's reaction. Does God ever show initiative? Is maybe the best way to ask the question. Does God show initiative? That's, that's the, the better question. Number one, a better question. Does God show initiative? See, I think for a lot of church people, we just don't have a lot of room in our theology for a God who shows initiative. And we're going to see in the scripture reading that there are other religious people who are in that same category. People who, they believe that God can show initiative, he just never actually does. And that's what we're going to be looking at today. But John the Baptist believed that God did show initiative. So uh, we're going to be hearing about John the Baptist. And uh, that's, that's where we're going with this. The reason John believed that God showed initiative is because that was his life. We read, if we, if we work back to chapter 3, we can see where John um, 
was minding his own business in the wilderness. And, and the scripture tells us, uh, at this time, a message from God came to John, son of Zechariah, who was living in the wilderness. God acted in John's life. And in fact, the, the word Zechariah reminds us, if we went all the way back to chapter 1, we would see God acted in his parents' life, because Zechariah wasn't expecting to have kids when he had John. So John knows that God acts. John knows that God actually does things on his own initiative. So John um, uh, went from place to place on both sides of the Jordan River, preaching that people should be baptized. He said, God is acting. God is doing something. Something's about to happen, and you need to react to God instead of expecting only for God to react to you. So that's what he said. He said that they should show that they had repented of their sins and turned to God to be forgiven. So that's, um, that's part of the background here. But there's another piece of background that's very important. When he did that, when John went around telling people that they needed to be baptized, he didn't stop there. He also criticized the king. Uh, we read in that same section of chapter 3, it says, John also publicly criticized Herod Antipas, the ruler of Galilee. So Herod put John in prison. And that's where we pick up our story in chapter 7. John is in prison and we know, we know that he's been doing this baptizing. We know that crowds have gone out to him, but we're now wondering, what's he doing in prison? What about John? And that's where we're picking up the story now. Now, there are a couple of different people who are wondering, what about John? One of them is the crowds. So the crowds, uh, which includes tax collectors, they were there back in chapter 3. It says the crowds asked John, what should we do? Um, next slide, please. Yeah. So the crowds asked, what should we do? And we read there that even corrupt tax collectors came to be baptized. So the crowds are the ones who responded to what John was telling them about what God was doing. So the crowds, including the tax collectors, have got one question about John. But there's another group in the picture. That's the Pharisees and the religious experts. It says um, uh, the Pharisees and the experts in the religious law rejected God's plan for them for they had refused John's baptism. Uh, Luke didn't tell us that part in chapter 3. He put it here in chapter 7 for some reason. But they were there. They were at the Jordan when John was baptizing. And for whatever reason, they looked at, at John and said, no, nah, I don't buy it. So these categories of people are there. They're, they're kind of wondering, why is John in prison? What does it mean that John is in prison? So, John has his disciples go to Jesus to find out. It says, the disciples of John the Baptist told John about everything Jesus was doing. Now, we don't know how they summarized everything Jesus has done up to this point, but presumably they mentioned the passage we heard a couple of weeks ago, where Jesus kind of told what his mission statement was. Jesus uh, said that the Spirit of the Lord is upon me, and he's anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim that captives will be released and the blind will see. Captives will be released. John's ears probably perked up at that. And he says, and the blind will see that the oppressed will be set free. <laughs> Even better. And at the time of the Lord's favor has come. So John has heard, he confessed Jesus to be, to be the coming one way back at the Jordan. But some time has passed, he's in prison, and now he's heard these things Jesus is doing. He's heard that Jesus has 
has been proclaiming a message of liberation, and he's thinking, why, that's perfect. I'm right here in prison. What about me? John asked the very reasonable question, what about me? So he sends his two disciples and sent them to the Lord to ask him, are you the Messiah? Are you the one who is coming? Or should we wait for another? And the reason for that is that John thought that Jesus would make his life easier. John thought, this is number two, John thought Jesus would make life easier. And so how does Jesus answer the question? Jesus doesn't begin by saying, yes, that's me. Jesus says, well, Jesus doesn't say anything. Jesus does something. At that very time, Jesus cured many people of their diseases, illnesses, and evil spirits, and he restored sight to many who were blind. So he does exactly what he had said he was going to do. He illustrates for these disciples, yes, I'm still on that exact same program that I told people that I was going to be about. And so he says, go back to John and tell him what you have seen and heard. Don't just pass on rumors. Tell him we saw it ourselves. He's still doing those things. He says, go back and tell John. And he adds, God blesses those who do not fall away because of me. He says to John, God didn't forget you. No, I have not liberated you yet. But God has not forgotten you. God blesses those who do not fall away because of the way I am working out my plan. So, that answers John's question. What about me? How come my life hasn't gotten any easier? But there's another part of this audience who's asking a question. The crowds. The crowds are wondering, well, hey, why did Herod lock John up? They're saying, if John is a prophet, why is he locked up? The crowd was basically wondering, was John a fraud? They're wondering, is John a fraud? So number three, the crowds wondered if John was a fraud. You know, there was that time I got all kind of religious and everybody said it was a phase. And, you know, I did the thing. I got the baptism, you know, but, you know, that was then and some things have happened and things are a little bit different now and I'm not sure what I believe anymore. You know, maybe that was all just some kind of phase I was going through. Maybe John was just kind of a charismatic guy who told me, something, and I bought a line of bill, uh, a, a bill of goods, and um, there was really nothing to it. That's basically where the crowd's at. They're saying, if John is a prophet, shouldn't he be still out prophesying? What, how come this earthly power, how come Herod can put him in jail? That's the question they're wondering. But they're not just wondering, are, you know, they're not just wondering in the abstract. They're saying basically, what about me? What does that say about me? What does it say about the baptism that I received from John? So Jesus answers them too. Jesus says to them, what were you expecting? Why did you go out in the first place? Why did you go out to the the Jordan River to be baptized? Were you expecting to see a man dressed in expensive clothes? No. People who wear beautiful clothes and live in luxury founded palaces. Jesus says, read your Bible. You know how this works. Read the story of Jeremiah. Read the story of Isaiah. Read the story of Elijah. They get in trouble with the authorities. This is what happens to prophets. Prophets never have it easy. He says, we know this. You you learned this in Sunday school, just like me. We all know prophets have it hard. He says, so what did you go out there looking for? Were you looking for a prophet? Well, you found one. Not just a prophet. You found someone who is more than a prophet. John is the man whom the scriptures refer to when they say, look, I'm sending my messenger ahead of you. And he will prepare your way before you. He says, 
Think what it was John was saying back in chapter 3. What was John saying the day you got baptized? Why did you get baptized? Because he said something was happening. That God was doing something. That God is on the move. God is working in the world. And your response is to get baptized. To prepare yourself for the coming one. He says, that's what John was prophesying. And he says, I tell you, of all who've ever lived, none is greater than John, yet even the least person in the kingdom of God is greater than he. He says, John was telling you the kingdom of God is at hand. He was telling you that everything is about to change. And those who are in the kingdom of God are better than any prophet outside the kingdom of God. So he says, hang on to the message. Yes, John's in prison. But really that shouldn't surprise us. If anything, that should confirm our belief that John is a prophet because that's what usually happens to prophets. He says, so hang on to the message that John proclaimed. So Jesus has talked now to John and he's talked to the crowds. But there's one more party to that baptism back in chapter 3. There was the religious people. And they're saying, essentially, this confirms what I always suspected. Yes, I'm a religious person. I've studied the Bible. I know, I know my scriptures. God can do anything he wants. God can act anytime he wants to. He just never actually does. It's been 400 years since there's been a prophet. So I had my suspicions when John showed up and said, said you know, the time has come. The, the kingdom has drawn near. And I said, you know, it's true that could happen, but it's been 400 years since we had a prophet. That doesn't make any sense. God doesn't actually act. He just can act if he wants to. So the religious people could quote chapter and verse. They could cite every scripture that said, God absolutely has the authority to act. But come on, it's been 400 years. He's not acting today. So the religious people say, God can act anytime he wants to. He just never wants to. God never shows initiative. That's their belief. That God responds to the things we do. But God doesn't have anything he's up to himself. God's not actually carrying out some program of his own. He doesn't have his own agenda. And Jesus answers them this way. Jesus says, To what shall I compare the people of this generation and what are they like? They're childish. They're childish. There's no satisfying some people. He says, he says the, John came acting exactly like a prophet. He had the clothes, as, as Ron mentioned. He had the clothes, he had the food, he had the look. He had everything you would expect from a prophet. And they said, God doesn't act. He's some crazy person out in the wilderness. Don't get baptized. Now the Son of Man comes. He acts like the guest of honor at a bridal feast. He eats and drinks. And you say, no, no no holy person would ever act that way. They'd act kind of like, well, actually kind of like John. He says, there's no satisfying you people. Because deep down, you don't believe that God is ever going to actually do anything. You believe, yeah, he'll, re- he'll, he'll, he'll punish wrongdoing. He'll reward a good deed now and again. He'll answer your prayers. But God doesn't have an agenda of his own. He says, there's no satisfying people whose viewpoint is that way. God is acting nevertheless, even if you refuse to believe it. So that's what Jesus says to the religious people. God is acting, whether you believe it or not. So, what do we do with this? If we believe 
Jesus, if we believe that God is acting, what is your role? You know, think about this. Suppose, I'm not saying you're going to get thrown in prison, but your life may take a downturn, okay? You may find yourself in a bad situation. I was talking to Dennis the other day. We were noticing the stretch of Minnesota, um, just south of, of uh, uh, Raspberry. Every time I drive that route, there's like four upside-down cars. And they're all different, but they're always there. You know, that may happen to you. Now tell me, what will go through your mind if it does? You'll probably say, this is what I deserve, right? I was driving too fast for conditions. I know that the road gets icy. I drive past upside-down cars every day. You'll say, I deserve that. And maybe in the case of, you know, driving on Minnesota, you were driving too fast and you do deserve it. But think about all the other ways your life goes through trouble. You say, I guess I just deserve this. This is God punishing me. See, God doesn't act. I act and then God responds. So you say, I deserved it. I had it coming. This is just God punishing me. Or maybe something actually goes well in your life. And you say, God's rewarding me. I think what Jesus is inviting us to do in this scripture is he's inviting us to say, maybe that's not it at all. Maybe God is acting and I have become caught up in this big thing that God is doing. Maybe I'm like John in prison, that I am reacting to what God is doing. So try that on the next time your car is upside down (laughs) or the next time you successfully drive past one of those upside down cars and you think you're getting rewarded for your prudence. Ask yourself, maybe I'm part of something bigger than all this. Maybe I'm part of something that God is doing. But there's something else you can do. When life is hard, or it seems that God doesn't care, ask Jesus. Do what John did. Ask Jesus. Jesus, why did this happen? Instead of jumping to the conclusion, this is punishment. I did something wrong. I'm just that kind of person. I deserve to be hurt this way. See, Jesus, why did this happen? Let Jesus answer the question first. And then, tied in with that, Sometimes when we're hurting the most, that's when we're most incapable of asking Jesus. So do like John. He was in prison. He couldn't ask Jesus. So he sent his two disciples. If you can't ask Jesus, if you're too numb, if you are too sick, my prayer for you is that you have a friend who can ask Jesus for you. You know, it's, it's my desire that every one of you have close Christian friends who when you're hurting, when you're aching, when you just don't have the words that they will ask Jesus on your behalf. They will say, Jesus, what on earth is going on? How could you possibly let this happen? And let Jesus say, I've got a plan. I'm working something here. This all, you'll see. Blessed is he who does not fall away because of me. So, ask Jesus or have a friend. And then one last thought. This is really more for us as a church. You know, I spent two days this week at the Methodist learning event um, and then the, um, what do they call it, the winter rendezvous. So uh, 
that was that was what I did this week and um, or last week, and then uh, this week we're going to do the uh, we're going to do it all again with the uh, Yukon Presbytery. So um, I covet your prayers, um, uh, but um, you know the reason they're having a, the the learning event talking about revitalization is because the church is in trouble. The church is in trouble. It's it's missionally ineffective in a lot of places that it cannot complete its mission. And uh, I, I forget the numbers. It was something like 90% of Methodist churches are either plateaued and beginning to decline or actually well along the path of decline. And it's significant that the place we had the learning event was in a church, or it was a church until last year. Now it's the conference center. Last year it was East Anchorage United Methodist Church. So this is the backdrop. We're talking about the state of the church and how churches and the congregations in them um, need to be revitalized. And one of the speakers um, had this image. He told us about the Choluteca Bridge. So, um, oh, I'm jumping ahead. If God really does act, we need to change. This is the implication. If God acts, then congregations and denominations need to change. So here's a, here's a picture that, that we got. Um, this is the Choluteca Bridge in Honduras. Uh, it was built in 1935 or 36 um, by the Honduran government with the help of the United States Army Corps of Engineers. And it stood and stood and stood until 1998. Here's another picture of it. Um, it's a, your basic suspension bridge. It's a 450 feet, something like that. Um, and it, it was uh, there for 60-something years in Honduras. And then in 1998, Hurricane Mitch came. And it dumped 75 inches of rain in three days. And there was devastation. Uh, people died. Uh, villages were swept away. It was a terrible catastrophe. But when the water began to recede, the river had moved. And so this is what it looked like after the river. I mean, after, after the hurricane. There's the river and there's the bridge. The bridge is still there. There's nothing wrong with the bridge. But the river has moved. And the, the, the idea that was expressed in the conference was, in a way, that's what the church has found itself to be in. It's not that anything the church is doing is, is wrong. The, 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 the bridge is still fine. It's the river that's moved. See, God acts because the culture has shifted. And what we were invited to consider as a congregation, as, as people at this learning event, different congregations in the Methodist church, is to ask ourselves, how is our church like that bridge? A perfectly good bridge. But the neighborhood that we serve, the, 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 the mission field that we're a part of, is like the river. And it has just moved 400 feet to one side. If God is acting in the world, we need to change. But if God is acting in your life, instead of saying, this is in response to something I've done, this is because I should have prayed better, or I should have gone to church more often, I shouldn't have driven so fast on Minnesota, ask the question, could this be something that God is doing, and I am being caught up in it? I am becoming a part of what God is doing. And if it hurts... Ask Jesus or have a friend. Let's pray.
Loving God, none of us wants to be John. None of us wants to be stuck in a prison, soon to be executed. We don't even want our car to drive off the road on Minnesota. But bad things happen. Lord, convict us not to assume that you are a God who only responds to the things we do, but you are a God who is working in this world. And the things that happen in our life, even the painful things, may have a greater role than we appreciate in your plan of salvation. Lord, give us the words to come to Jesus and ask, why? What about me? I thought my life was going to be easier. And if, Lord, we cannot, give us friends who can ask Jesus for us. We pray all these things through Christ our Lord. Amen.